Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace. Yes. He gets applause just for doing the announcements. It's, a, it's a absolutely incredible. So if you're a guest today, we're so thrilled that you're here as we start this new series, Thriving Under Pressure, and uh, obviously with a baseball theme, and we hope that some of you like hot dogs and all that good stuff. But if you are a guest at your first time, we're a church for people who don't go to church, which means this. If you are a churched person and you're passionate about what Jesus Christ is passionate about, and that is having conversations with people no matter where they are spiritually, having conversations, not condescension, then you're in the right place. If you're a non-church-going person, you need to know this. 30 to 40% of this congregation self-classifies as a non-church goer. So you're amongst many, many, many friends, and we exist for you. So we're absolutely thrilled that you're here. What took you so long to come? Did it take the baseball? We're glad that you're here. All right, questions. We want to do some questions here. Questions are very, very important. Questions can actually change our lives. The questions that you ask, the answers that you get. So if you were getting on a plane and you're there at the little counter and you're deciding what seat you're going to sit in, this could be a life changer for you. Where do you want to sit? All right, let's look at the seating chart. Where you want to be, right? You want to be up front in first class, correct? Right? You went up front for it. See, we already, we already know that. But here's the question. What's the, where's the safest place to sit on the plane? Where's the safest place to sit on the plane? You know where it is? Yeah, exactly right. It's all the way at the back. You know which seat in the back? Middle seat. Back of the plane, last row, next to the toilets, right? Next to the toilets. Middle, the most uncomfortable seat possible is the safest place on the plane. Now, let's ask another question. Let's just say, let's just say, maybe you want to know where's the highest concentration of single people in the United States of America. Maybe you just want to know that information. What's the highest concentration? Where, what city? What major city are they? Mo- Please tell me. DC? DC? New York? LA? I'm listening. Nobody said it. Nobody said it. What? Arlington, Virginia. Okay, good. Somebody had it over there. I think we have uh, somebody who... There it is. Okay. Listen, listen, listen. Okay. So you, you, you're looking for a single person. You want to go to... However, you should follow it up with another question. Why are all those people single? Because there's no money there. You can't afford to get married. So you need to know that information. That little piece of information really helps us out, right? Right. Detroit is really suffering, okay? They have a high concentration of single people. Now, let's say you want to really be healthy. You want to eat the healthiest vegetable that you can get your hands on. What would it be? What's the healthiest vegetable? Broccoli. Thank you very much. What else? Kale. Nobody has said it yet. Mark, show us. Show us. Watercress. Watercress is the healthiest vegetable, according to Time Magazine, that you can possibly eat. Questions are important. Now, let's say this. Let's say that you want to thrive under pressure. Let's say you are really interested in how you can thrive in life, right? Life spiritually, in your job, with your character, with your community. You want to really thrive, and you ask the Bible this question. You ask the Bible, how can I thrive? Like in a pressure-packed situation like Washington, D.C., how can I thrive under pressure? The Bible would answer with one word. What is that word that it would answer with? Let's read this story. We're beginning uh, today a series on Joseph. It's a phenomenal story at the very least. It's an amazing story to read. Let's read it. It'll be on the screen on the back of that blue bulletin that you have. Here we go. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Jacob is Joseph's dad. Joseph 
a young man of 17 years of age, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Already we know we have a problem. Okay? Oh, yeah. And he brought their father. Please notice. What is that? He brought their father a what? A what? I need you to remember that. This is very important about them. Now, now notice that now. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Wait a minute. Favoritism. That's very difficult. Uh, if you grew up in a family where there was favoritism, and you were on the wrong, particularly if you're on the wrong side of that favoritism, this is a big problem, isn't it? Now, Israel loved. Israel is, is Jacob. So Jacob, Joseph's dad, more than any of the other sons, because he had born to, been born to him in his old age, he made them this ornate robe. What's up with the robe? It's just showing everybody, I love him more than anybody else. I'm moving him to management immediately. He's going to be the CEO of everything. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they what? What did they do? They oh, hated him. They hated him. Could not even speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. Now, now Joseph has his dream. What is the dream, Joseph? He told it to his brothers, and they did what? They hated him all the more. That's the second hate, and we are only five verses in. They hate him all the more. He says to them, listen. So Joseph says to them, listen, everybody. He's so excited. You got to love this. Listen to this dream I had. We were all binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. You don't think he's a narcissist, do you? Okay. <laughs> bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they what him more? Hated him more. Yes all the more because of his dream and what he said. Then he had another dream. Oh, the second one's better than the first. He told it to his brother. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars. He had 11 brothers, sun and moon, mom and dad. Not only is everybody mom, dad, good, but, but also check this out, like the whole universe. He's talking cosmic. The whole universe is bowing down to me. Finally, the world, the universe has seen how great I am. We're bowing down to me, right? When he told this to his fathers, his brothers said, rebuked him. His, his fathers and brothers rebuked him. What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. Yep. And his father kept this matter in mind. This is one seriously messed up family. I need you to know that, okay? A lot, a lot of times we read the Bible, we have this misunderstanding. We think, oh, God, you're going to show me the people in the Bible, right, that you track with God, that they're, they're the model. God is saying, this isn't the model. You think your family's dysfunctional? Wait till we dig into this family. This is one messed up family. There's favoritism, there's suffering, there's abuse, there's lies, and there's uncontrolled lust. This is what we're going to be getting into in the next 10 weeks. There's violence. So what happens after this? Jacob tells Joseph, the son, okay, son, you stay here with me at headquarters. I'm giving you the corner office right down the hall from me. We'll send your brothers out to do the blue collar work. You stay here at headquarters. Love you very much. The boys go out. They're working the field. Dad says, hey, look, I need you to check on the boys. They're a couple days away. Go check, see how they're doing. He says, okay, be glad to do it. He goes, he walks days and days and days. Finally, he finds them and they see him coming. Well, how did they see him coming? What, what tipped them off that it was him? Anybody want to guess? It was the robe. It was the robe that tipped him off. They see him coming. They said, what? Here comes that dreamer. Here he comes. And they say, you know what? Let's do this to him. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. So he comes. And the first thing he says, they strip him of his robe. Now, you need to know this. This is a violent act. The word strip in Hebrew is the same word for skinning an animal. They violently attack him. They throw him down a cistern, which is this deep well, but it didn't have any water. It was an empty cistern. Threw him down the well. They didn't kill him yet. 
they do this. Think how, think how much they hated this guy. They sit down and eat a meal while he serenades them with his cries from the, from the bottom of the pit. Help me, save me, please take me out of this. He's just crying his eyes out. And they're just eating and they're just enjoying the music. That's how much they seethe with hatred towards their brother Joseph. This, my friends, is one messed up family. Now, we have... Um, we have here a baseball diamond. I want to go through a couple things with you, all right? So this is home plate, first, second, third, all right? Let's start over here, all right? Here is what third plate stands for, competence, competence. It's what you do for a living. It's your skill. It's your gift. This is what you need to know about competency. Joseph was off the charts, he was a brilliant CEO. Everything he managed went straight up and to the right. Okay? This is a good thing. Everything he ran was awesome and with excellence. And this is what you need to know. God is very interested in what you do for a living. And he wants you to do it well. Matter of fact, there's six dreams in this entire story. I just read two of them to you. We'll get to four of them later on in the weeks ahead. Every one of those dreams, all six, has to do with people, what people do for a living competency. You're wondering, oh, does God care what I do for a living? I'm telling you right now, from this story, over and over and over, and God says, yes, I care very much what you do for a living, and I want you to do it, and I want you to do it very well. He had this one down pat. He was missing one thing, and that's what back here in home plate. Let's go to second base. Community. Everybody, this is one messed up dysfunctional family. I'm going to say it again. You think you've got it bad? We're going to talk about, as a matter of fact, next week, we're just going to dive in very deep. Genesis chapter 38. Look, here's the deal. We can't help it. Our brains are just wired this way. I know you don't want to admit to it, so I'm going to go ahead and say it for you, okay? We compare ourselves to other people. We just do. We might say, oh, I don't ever compare myself. Come on. We're all human beings. We just do it. This is the way. Maybe a lot, maybe a little, but we compare ourselves. So we see somebody that's more messed up, more dysfunctional than us. We're like, oh my gosh, at least I'm not that family. Okay? Well, next week, everybody, we're going knee deep into dysfunction. Some of us grew up in extremely dysfunctional families. Wait till you get a load of Genesis chapter 38. You know what one Bible scholar said about Genesis 38? He said it's the most worthless chapter in the entire Bible. This Bible scholar said, I have no idea why in the world God would include Genesis 38 in the Bible in the first place. It doesn't make a bit of sense. And what I want to suggest to you from this worthless chapter that it might be one of the most valuable chapters of all. We're going to get deep and we're going to get really gritty next week. His community was severely messed up. Okay, come over here. First base, everybody. Character. Now, time out. Time out just a second. We're going to go over to the pitcher's mound, and we're going to have a little conference with everybody. And we've got the catcher coming out, right? Coach is out here. Let's have a talk. I said a few minutes ago where church people don't go to church. For those of you who consider yourself non-churched people, not as familiar with the Bible, you're going to have no problems right now. You're like, what are you, what, what's the problem? Okay, let me talk to you church people for a second. Uh, I've been in the church all my life. We put Joseph way up there on the pedestal. Like, he's perfect. This guy is really perfect. I want you just to take a deep breath, all right? All right? And I want to tell you, it's going to be okay. All right? It's just not, you won't be wounded. You're not going to be scarred for life, what I'm getting ready to tell you. I need you to think deeply for just one moment about Joseph's character. He was not perfect. He did not have perfect character. 
The only person that is perfect, the only hero in all the Bible is Jesus Christ, everybody. It's a good lens to look through everything. It says that he came and gave a bad report. A bad report. You might say, well, that's fairly neutral. I mean, the brothers are doing something wrong. However, I want to explain some things about the Hebrew word bad report. It means a malicious lie. Okay? So, this guy seems to be lying about his brothers to get ahead. Now, no, no, let me give you something else. Same Hebrew word is found in Numbers chapter 13. What's going on in Numbers chapter 13? So God says, I want you to go into this land, right? Here's this promised land. And they say, okay, we're going to send these 12 guys to do some recon work into this land. So they go into the land, they come back, and they tell the story. Two of the recon guys, two of the recon soldiers come back and say, oh, yeah, we all know God's led us to this land. We need to take it. This is good. It's awesome. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, this, is what, this is what God's will is. And 10 of the recon guys came back and said what? They gave a church people? Thank you. You know your Bible. It's awesome. They give a bad report. What did the bad report do? Was it neutral? Were they they leading people astray or were they leading people towards good stuff? They were leading people towards chaos. There was pain. There was suffering. People died because of their bad report because it was a it was a lie. Proverbs chapter 10. Same Hebrew word that Joseph uttered out of his mouth to his father Jacob about the bad report. That word for you on the screen behind me or on the blue little bulletin underlined, slander. So it seems here that Joseph slanders his brothers in order to get ahead. Did you happen to notice the sequence of events as I read the story? He comes back with the bad report and then all of a sudden immediately he leapfrogs all the other brothers. Bingo! They don't know how to run a shepherd business. I know how to. They're no good. Let me just, it's okay. We're all going to be better off for it. And this is what he does. I know that's tough. So his character, his community, and his competency over here, he was doing it all on his own. He was missing one word. It's the one word that the Bible says that we need in order for God to shape our character, shape our community, and shape our competency. And what is that word? It's back here at home plate. And that word is connect. Connect. I know it's hard for some of you to see, but it's up there. Connect. We need to connect with God. When we connect with God, then we get God involved with our character. He begins to shape it. He begins to shape our community and shape our competency. If we're not connecting with God, then we're doing this and this and this all on our own. We need to connect with God on a very regular basis. So I have asked a pitcher from the Nationals to show up today, and here he is right here, Kurt Nybert. Everybody welcome Kurt Nybert. <laughs> now, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt threw some not-so-good pitches in the first service. He's got it all worked out. He went out to the, you know, okay, and he worked it out. We're going to see what we can do. It's very important that we connect, because if we don't connect here, then we don't advance, right? So let's see what happens. Kurt, we have to connect on a regular basis. Go ahead, give us a good pitch, Kurt. Oh, oh, foul. Come on, let's try it again. Here we go. Come on. Oh, my goodness. You're jamming me up. Jamming me. Goodness gracious. There we go. Now, I, okay. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Because what our natural tendency, everybody, is that I'm going to shape my character. I'm going to get up every morning, shape my character. I can do it. I can do it. I'm going to shape my community and I'm going to shape my competency instead of getting up in the morning 
and connecting with God first. Why do we do that? Listen, when we talk about we're going to connect with God, we need to know something about all of us that the Scripture points out. And what is that thing? We are addicted to independence. And so the one word I want you to remember, this will change everything. You've got to go, what? okay, if it's connecting is the answer, I'll connect. But we don't connect. Everybody says, I, 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 I need to connect with God more. And what's going on? It's that one word that the Bible answers back that will change everything for us, and that word is dependence. It is the one word that changes everything. Dependence. Why do I have a problem with dependence? I'll tell you why. The scripture says in Romans chapter 12, it says these words. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So what's God telling us? This is super important. This probably maybe will cause light bulbs to go off with you with your relationship with God and even your relationship with other people. There's a pattern to this world. What's the pattern? What's the natural pattern? The natural pattern to this world is that I am born dependent upon my parents for everything, aren't I? I'm born deep. I need my parents. I'm not going to survive unless somebody takes care. I'm dependent on somebody to take care, to feed me, to love me, to give me something to drink, to clothe me, to pick me up, to change my diaper. I'm dependent. It's natural, totally natural for a baby or a two-year-old to be living at home with the parents fully dependent upon them. But it's completely unnatural for a 32-year-old to have their parents still taking care of them like that. Would you all agree? Right? Okay. So the natural thing in the world is there's this pattern, and the pattern flows from dependence to independence. And God says this. Remember when Jesus stands up, the little child before them? He stands up a little child in the middle. Uh, he's giving a sermon illustration. He stands up a little kid, a little tiny baby. He says, you all need to become like this little child. I, that is always, I, what? Do you want me to be naive? Do you want me to be childish? Do you, do, what do you want immaturity from? What is it exactly that you want, God? Why should I? I don't want to be like a little child because I want to start like a little child, but I want to be a grown-up. I want to be mature. I want to use my brain. God's not talking about that. He wants all of us to use our brains. What God is saying so clearly is that he wants us to be like a little child and go from independent spiritually. The spiritual world works this way. The spiritual world goes, we start out independent from God, and he wants us to move towards complete dependence upon him. And if we are truly dependent upon him, then we will begin to connect with God. And if we don't deal with this very natural thing about this strong addiction that we have to independence, we're never going to connect with God. And if we don't, he's not going to work us around these bases and shape things. What's our natural thing in America? Well, you know, did you notice I started out this base? You notice I ran the bases backwards? Hey, you know what? If I can get this one right, who cares about the rest of the stuff, right? If I can get this, if I can get my comp, if I can get the job, if I can get the money, if I can get the prestige, and this one right here. And what we realize is Joseph had all this, and his life was a complete wreck. He was hated. And when he went over here and he became dependent upon God by connecting with God, he went from hated to celebrated. His life was diving and he went to thriving. And we need to focus. It's not all about this. We need to start here. The, the game starts here. Every day I get up and say, God, I need you to help me today. God, guide my day. God, would you please guide my character? Would you shape my character today? Would you please help me with my community? Community is so critically important. I read a study recently 
This guy, Robert Putnam, did this thing. Some of you read the book, Bowling Alone, right? And what did he say in that book, Bowling Alone? He says, community is so important. If you're a person that has healthy community, it makes a massive difference on your life, even with your physical health. In other words, he put it this way. He says, you could be all by yourself all day long eating watercress, right? <laughs> or you could be in a group of friends, trusted friends, community that you have, and eat ice cream all day long and be healthier with the ice cream than the watercress. That's important. Community. We got some people excited about the ice cream thing. <laughs> Try that after church. Hot dogs. Community. And then the competency. We need that. The one word that changes everything. I read a book recently, and it was a different book on parenting. It, 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 it did this. It was giving all kinds of studies, analysis, kind of a scientific research book rather than philosophy. And I was fascinated by it. Here's what they found out. Okay. You know how teenagers... All right. You know how you were when you were a teenager? Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, one day, you were cool with your parents, and the next moment, you're like, hey, uh, Dad, can you drop me off at the corner? I don't want anybody to see <laughs> that I'm anywhere near you. All of a sudden, they don't want to have anything to do with you. Why is that? You know what the book said? What's the number one thing they want? You're like, oh, man, they're being tough. They're being ridiculous. Hormones are raging, blah, blah, blah. You know what it really is, they say? Number one thing is that they want, that they crave, that they're addicted to is independence. Now, you were a teenager. You didn't get over that. The seeds of independence are in all of us. And when you become a teenager, hormones water that seed. And boom, <laughs> there you go. There you are. Independence is who we are. It's the pattern of the world. And if we try to deny it, we're not going to be able to connect with God. But when we understand it, oh my gosh, doesn't that happen to you? Like, I, there's a moment I'm dependent upon God. And next thing I know, I go back. The Bible's filled with those stories. You know, he was dependent, and back, back and forth, back and forth. Why? Because we're struggling with this idea of dependence. For a child, for a child, you think about it. Why do children have to depend upon their parents? Because life doesn't work unless they do. And so God is saying, if we will depend upon him, right? The spiritual way, we will depend upon him, he will make our life run better. Without that dependence, he won't shape our character, shape our community, and shape our competency. It is incredibly important. So here's what's fascinating about Joseph's story. Think about this. His brothers, violent act, strip them, throw them down the cistern, throw them down this well. It's like Joseph, everybody, is going back into the womb of the earth. And he's in there crying like a baby. And what you're going to see throughout this story is that Joseph emerges from this womb on a different path than when he went in. It's almost like he's born again. He went in independent. He came out with the seeds of dependence as he began to cry out to God. So what's fascinating from Genesis 37, look, think about it this way. Beginning of Genesis, God's everywhere. I mean, God's everywhere. Haven't you said just like me, oh my goodness, God, if you would just show up in my life, if you would just write your directions to me on the sky for the whole world to see, man, I'd believe in you. If I would just see you face to face, if you would just show up tangibly, physically in my life, oh man, it'd be a piece of cake. Be a key. How many, how many times you said that or you know somebody that said that? If God would just be there, it would be a piece of cake. Well, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, God's everywhere. He's walking, he's talking, he's hanging out. Hey, how you doing? Boom. Good to see you today. Cain has a bad day. God shows up to Cain. He's like, hey, buddy, you, your sin's crouching at your door. I mean, you can't get any closer than that. He goes, hey, you're going the wrong path, Cain. He ends up murdering his brother Abel. You got Noah. God's helping him build an ark. All right? You think about how God, God is sitting down having a meal with Abraham. Why doesn't God sit down and have a meal with me? If he would do that, I'd, oh, I'd never turn my back on God, right? 
How about Jacob, Joseph's dad? He wrestles with him one night. I want God to show up and wrestle with me one night. Oh, can we do an all-night wrestling match? And you know what's interesting? When God is all over the place, he's all over the place, you know what they do? Do they have zero problems with faith and belief? Do they have zero problems? They have massive problems. Hello. God, I want you to show up. If you show up and I see you clearly, boom, I'll never turn my back again. God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise I'll never turn my back on you again. You and I are going to be tight, right? <laughs> going to be tight. God's everywhere. Genesis 37, God's nowhere. Read it. Genesis 37, God is nowhere to be found. He's nowhere to be found. What Joseph needed to do is learn to be dependent. And we will see throughout this story, he learns to be dependent. He starts connecting with God. And God begins to shape his character, shape his community, and shape his competency. And he is, it just thrives, even under the worst pressure situations. Now, we're going to talk about different ways that we learn to be dependent. I want to just focus on one here in conclusion, all right? Prayer, everybody, to me. And we're going to see this through the life of Joseph. Prayer is probably one of the most best ways to practically show that we are dependent upon God. It's almost like, right? It's almost like phone calls. When you're talking to somebody on your cell phone, and all of a sudden the call drops, you say, I got what? I got what? I got disconnected communication, conversation. That's what prayer is. Prayer, everybody, is not a performance. It's not a performance. It's not meant to be a performance. Well, I, I think of a guy in a church I grew up in. Man, this older gentleman, he's a retired minister. He had the perfect voice for prayer. He would pray the most eloquent prayers. When he got done praying, I wanted to stand up and applaud him. And the only person that didn't want to applaud him was God. I'm not saying that he prayed bad, but it was a great performance. God is not interested in our performance. We need to figure out how to look at prayer where it goes from being a duty to becoming a delight. Why is it that way? We need to figure out how it can go from being a responsibility to being a privilege. Is there anything that we could take? You know how the, uh, you know how the umpire comes out with the broom, right? right? And he has to dust off home plate every now and then? I want to dust some things off for you, all right? That will take prayer from being duty to delight, from responsibility to a privilege. So Proverbs 3, it's not on the screen. It's not on the back of your bulletin. It's a very famous verse. This is what it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. I want to focus on that now. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will straighten your path. Joseph seriously needed his path being straightened. You notice what it said? To trust. Trust is the same word as depend. Rely, have confidence. Trust, be dependent upon God in all your ways. In all, not disengage your intellect, but just engage God throughout the day, in everything that you do, and show that dependence, and God will begin to move you around the basis his way and in his time. It's a powerful thing. Now, why do we look at it that way? We look at it that way because we see God as a cosmic police officer, and we get all straightened up and nervous when God's around. I've got a couple quotes for you about this. Um, there's two books I want to recommend, actually. Uh, John Maxwell, Kevin Myers, who was a minister, they wrote a book called The Home Run Life. Excellent book. And this other book, which I have two quotes for you, I think it's fascinating. I hope you'll think about this deeply. John Ortberg's book, The Best Me I Can Be. Look what he says. John Ortberg, quote, I must pray what is in me, not what I wish were in me. What is he saying there? 
saying we have to become completely honest with God. So what happens to us when we go to pray and we look at his do? Same thing happens to us as when we're driving our car and a police officer pulls up behind us. What do we do? Immediately, we slow down and we go the speed limit. And the blood pressure raises the heart, right? We're talking on the phone. Police officer behind us. We just, whoop, stop it. Okay. Not doing anything, right? Seatbelt. If I just do it real subtly, he won't know. Seatbelt on. I'm at 10 and 2, right? All of a sudden, I'm putting on a performance, and I'm uptight. It's a duty, not a delight. I'm putting a performance on for the cosmic cop when I'm doing performance prayers. And instead, what God wants to do, he wants us to pour what's in our hearts out to him. Look at this. Shelsea Silverstein writes this take on a prayer. This is, I thought, very cool. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You recognize it? And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my toys to break so none of the other kids can use them. Amen. Amen. Huh? That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer because that's pouring your heart out before God. If you're a performance prayer and it's a duty, you're like, oh, man, no, God, I'm not that way. Huh? Oh, no, God, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm great. Hey, man, God, everything's great. Bring world peace. I love you. You love me. Everything's great. Amen. How about this? Hey, God, I'm a selfish jerk. Man, I'm so mad at my parents. I hate my boss. I'm tired that you're not answering my prayers. What about that kind of prayer? Look at what, this, what Orberg said. This is an awesome quote. Please think deeply about this. It is the hidden heart, not the selfish heart, that is hardest to change. This is what it means to pour our hearts out before God. Pour it out, whatever's in there. I got news for you. You know, when, when my life, I go through all kinds of situations, and I'm experiencing all kinds of... I'm not always the generous, loving, kind, selfless person that I should be. Many times, and I have to pour it out. All right, uh, I'm going to ask the music team to come up and help me, and I want to draw your attention to the keychains. I hope you got a keychain. Let me tell you why we're giving you a keychain. Here it is. So what we got right here? Hmm? Keychain. It's got a little baseball bat on and a little ball. Here's what I'd like you to consider doing, please. I'd like you to consider putting it on your key ring. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why I want you to put it on your key ring. I want you to put it there for the next 10 weeks. I'd like you, every time you look at this, which will hopefully be multiple times a day, pour your heart out to God. If you're having a good moment, if you're having a Jesus moment, and you feel all selfless and kind and forgiving, pour that out to God. If you're having a moment where you're so thankful because God's done something for you, I got to tell you, over here on this prayer wall, over here on this prayer wall, every single week God is answering prayers. It is amazing. If you're having a moment like, oh man, I can't, pour that out. Pour out praise. Thank you, God. My life is going awesome. But if you're having a selfish moment, if you're having a hurtful moment, if you're having a frustrating or a disappointing moment, pour it out to God for the next 10 weeks. No performance prayers, honest prayers. No hidden heart prayers. Show God your heart. Let it just roll. Here's what the psalmist says. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Don't let your bones waste away. Not a good thing. Can't be a good thing, right? Don't let your bones waste away. Let it out. Let it pour out. God says in every situation we should pray. In every situation, up, down, selfish, selfless, all of that. And we should pray without ceasing. Would you consider for the next 10 weeks pouring your heart out to God? Let it all go. Connecting with God. See, it's when we pour out our hearts for God, not when we performance pray, not when prayer is a duty, not when you're all stressed out because God is a cosmic cop. It's when you pour out just what's in your heart 
that you connect with God and he begins to run you around the bases. We don't advance any other way. I want to tell you one last story about a guy real quick and then we're going to conclude. So I'm going to show you somebody on the screen. Let's see if you recognize him. Who is that? I couldn't hear you. General George S. Patton, there he is, the most revered general of World War II. He was legendary. He was famous all around the globe. This guy was tough. This guy was a soldier. His own soldiers underneath him called him old blood and guts. That's what they call And you know what this guy said? Think about this. He said, I want to die. This is how I want to die. I want to die from the last bullet in the last battle in the last war. That's how I want to go out of this world. I want to end in the last war, in the last bullet, in the last battle. He was an incredible athlete. He was a tough guy. He was a soldier and his soldiers loved him. He was foul mouthed. Oh my gosh, he was foul mouthed. This is what he said about profanity. He said, profanity is the language of the soldier and I'm a soldier and I communicate with soldiers. That's what I do. He was, indep- he was independently wealthy. Which is what? What do we all want to be, everybody? Uh, We want to be what wealthy? Independently wealthy, right? We celebrate what in this country? Independence Day, right? We're all about independence. This guy was tough guy, arrogant guy, profane guy, all of these things. But he had a temper. Oh my gosh, he had a temper. One day he showed up at a hospital, military hospital. He'd go to the hospitals all the time to visit his guys. He'd go to the hospital. He walked in one day. He's visiting his guys. They're, they're obviously they got all kinds of problems. He walks up on one guy. He can't tell what the problem is with the guy. He's like, hey, what's wrong with you? And the guy said, I'm scared. He said, you said what? He said, I'm, uh, uh, I'm scared. He went off. This is not politically correct at all. He goes completely off on the guy, slaps him around, pulls his gun, grabs the guy, kicks him out the door, says, put him on the front of the line. This guy, this is a guy that uh, was revered, but you might not like him all the time. You understand? You know what I mean? Well, uh, did you know that General Patton prayed? You know what I think when I get back here in this batter's box right here? I'm in the batter's box. I'm dependent upon God. There is this voice. I don't know about you, but this is what happens. There's this voice. Hey, you know, what are you doing? You can do this yourself. You can run these bases yourself. Don't be a child. You don't need God's help. Do it yourself. You're being immature. Be a man. Did you know the general patent tough guy, mean guy, profane guy? He prayed. Matter of fact, he would stop in churches all over Europe and he'd get down on his knees. He'd get down on his knees. He said, God, please, I need your help. I can't be successful without your help. God, please help me. Please help me. And he would pray his guts out. He kept his chaplains busy doing what? Writing prayers for him. Do you realize that General George S. Patton, the man of all men, gave a three by five card to all of his soldiers? He said, I need you to pray this every day. Put a prayer on that. He says, pray this prayer that he had written. Prayer for good weather. Guy was really into weather. Really into weather. He needed good weather to succeed. He would write most of his prayers, and so I'm a big fan of writing prayers. I believe in writing prayers, and he would write a lot of his prayers, and he would go in on his knees. He'd read these prayers to God, and you know what he did? Everybody, listen. He poured his heart out to God. Do you think like he cleaned up all the profane language? I mean, you can't pray that to God, right? I mean, you can't read that. You You can be honest, but you can't be that honest to God, right? No, he prayed it just like it was. I've cleaned it up. Because I didn't think I didn't think you could handle it. Here, let me give you one prayer. He prayed down on his knees before God in the church. 
He said this, quote, Sir, this is Patton here. I'm beginning to wonder what is going on in your headquarters. Whose side are you on anyway? You have got to make up your mind, God. And then he goes off about weather. What are you doing with the weather? What is your problem with the weather? Clean the weather up. You know, chaplains told me, hey, you know, general, I'm sorry. I don't know. It's going to take a miracle. I don't know that God's going to give you great weather. The battle of the bulge was the Nazis' last stand. They gave a surprise deck. Nobody saw it coming, but General Patton saw it coming. Nobody saw it coming. And man, they had us pressed up against the wall. But Patton needed good weather. And the chaplain said, I don't think you're going to get it. And he got down on his knees and he poured his heart out to God. He expressed his frustration. I can't believe this. What are you doing? Have you forgotten who's the good side and the bad side here? Give me some weather. You know what? Miracle of miracles. He got his good weather and he won that battle. And he went down as the most famous general of World War II, the most feared general by the Nazis. See, when you connect with God, depending upon God, God runs you around the bases. If you're not connecting with God, depending upon God every day, when you get up all throughout the day talking to God, hearing the voice saying, oh, you're being childish, do it yourself. If you ignore it like General Patton did, God will run you around these bases and you will thrive. Let me conclude by saying this. This will change your life. We are all naturally inclined to independence. You need to be honest about that. I need to be honest about that. I am inclined towards independence. Some of us here today have never expressed our total dependence upon Jesus Christ as our Savior. Some of us never said, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself. Today's your day. Today's your day that you're going to make the decision. Say, you know what? I'm all yours. I'm going to depend upon you. Our prayer team is right over here against that wall. They would love to pray with you about that. It's the most important decision you make in your life. Now, let me talk to another group of people. Some of you are just like me. You've been in church a long time. Let me tell them how my life goes. I expressed that decision to be dependent upon God many, many years ago. And you know what I did after that? I went from dependence back to independence. Man, I'm all over the place. Woo, woo, woo. Right, because it's, it's my natural enemy, and I have to, rec- I have to be honest about that. I have to be, I'm addicted to independence. It's who I am. When the hormones set that off, the seeds of independence in my life, they have not given up. I have to keep coming back to God and say, would you please help me? Because if I'm dependent upon you, you're going to run me around these bases, and without being dependent upon you, I will not thrive the way you want me to thrive. And so many of us here today are going to make a decision about saying to God, afresh and anew this morning, I want to be dependent upon you. So God, you can shape my character, my community, and my competency to be the person that you want me to be. Some of you are making that decision, and I hope, I hope that you'll express that dependence. The prayer team has been praying about this actually for weeks because they've known this is coming, and they're over there waiting for you and would love to pray. All right, can we all stand together? We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song after I pray. just want to remind you prayer team is over here. If you're brand new, you want to come to Grace and Five, we're right here. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. God, uh, got to be totally honest with you about myself, about everybody else that I've ever met. We're addicted to independence, but we know that we only thrive when we're dependent. So for all of us right now that are trying to make a life-changing decision, a decision that will change everything, Am I going to decide today to be dependent upon you? Am I going to seek you in prayer? Am I going to seek the prayers of the prayer team? God, help us to make the decision that will lead us towards a life that is thriving and not diving. 
a life that is going to be everything you want us to be. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.